A quick announcement before I begin. The, our FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes uh, group, we took 11 uh, kids to camp on Wednesday and I brought them home yesterday. It was a, a great experience for them. They uh, heard the word of God preached. They, many of them accepted Christ, received the word uh, for the first time. So um, praise God that he, uh, he did a lot of work this week. So, and not just kids from Opelousas, but throughout the state. Uh, it was an impactful experience for many. So thank you all for praying. Thank you all for, for supporting us. Begin this morning by telling you about a, a teenager I met when I started work at Opelousas High about nine years ago. Um, I was assigned bus duty, so I was on the bus ramp after school, and uh, I didn't teach most of these kids, so to get to know them a little bit, I would go up and ask them questions and strike up a conversation. And um, Many times I get to ask them what they believed and uh, what they believed about God, and it may be surprising to you, maybe not, but most public high school students uh, can't very well articulate what they believe and why. Um, so it's an opportunity for me to share about the good news of Jesus and in the few minutes before their bus gets there. Um, but as I'm uh, talking to students, one student really impressed me. He, he knew the gospel. He had answers to my questions. He knew that Jesus died for his sins, that um, by believing in Christ, he had eternal life. And so I immediately formed a connection with this young man. And um, I learned that his name was Dwayne. And in asking more questions, I found out that his family was kind of in a difficult situation. They had some urgent needs, and so I told him that I would stop by later that evening and, and bring him some of what, we, what they needed. And when I stopped to visit, I met his two younger brothers and his grandmother and his aunt, and, and uh, that good deed eight and a half years ago um, began the jumping off point for quite, a, quite an adventure. Um, I don't have kids of my own, but um, as I got more involved in their lives, they, these boys started calling me pops. It hasn't been easy by any means, but I've tried to uh, be faithful to share the love of Christ with these young men. Um, they got involved in our church and our youth group. Um, many of you have prayed for them, have helped to meet their needs, have shown the love of Christ to them, and uh, it's been a great opportunity to talk about faith to the extent that they're open to it, to lead them through navigating life, uh, growing up, uh, getting out on their own. And um, these three brothers, for the most part, are off on their own now. They're doing their best to make it. There are periods when they need um, some support and help, and uh, I try to be there for them as much as I can. But um, when I receive news from them about what's going on in their lives, uh, it's a blessing to me. And uh, our text this morning in 1 Thessalonians, Paul has received news uh, of a church that he helped plant in Thessalonica. And um, he writes this letter in return, and I believe as we study chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians um, that his, his intent of this letter was to encourage his, his new believers and this church in Thessalonica. So let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Lord, we pray that your word would have the impact that it did on the Thessalonians, that, Lord, your word would come in power this morning uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we would be fully convicted of of your word to us, that we would be fully assured of of the position we have in Christ, Lord. Uh, We ask that you speak to us this morning, open our hearts to, to do what it is that you would have us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Thessalonians, some, first some background information about this, this book. It was written in probably around 51 AD. It's probably the first uh, letter uh, that we have canonized in the Bible, uh, the first of all the epistles recorded in the Bible. Um, Paul was on his second missionary journey with Silas, uh, here called Silvanus in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but we hear about that in Acts chapter 17. Um, so we'll read the, the portion dealing with the Thessalonians in, in Acts chapter 17. I'll read Uh, verses 1 through 10. Now when they, meaning Paul and Silas, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and his companions have have left Thessalonica, they've moved on, and Paul continues to face opposition in every city. Um, Paul's ministry is getting more and more difficult with more and more opposition, and it's kind of at this low point for for Paul and Silas that um, Silas and Timothy bring word that the Thessalonian church is actually doing well, that um, um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy decide to write this, this letter to this young church. And in the first chapter here that I read, Um, They've communicated three things, which we'll discuss today. They've begun with an enthusiastic greeting for this young church. Um, Then they describe the evidences of God's grace that they see in the church in Thessalonica in verses 3 through 6. And finally, they encourage these new believers 
to set an example of genuine faith in, in verses 7 through 10. So let's begin with the enthusiastic greeting we find in verses 1 and 2. So Paul introduces the letter. Paul, Silas, Saul, Paul Silvanus, and Timothy um, is introducing who the letters are from. Paul and Silas were the two missionaries who preached this in the synagogue for three Sabbaths, three weeks, and planted this church in Acts 17, which we also read. And Timothy um, became a Christian through Paul's preaching and joined Paul on his second missionary journey. Uh, one thing to note about 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians as well, in some letters, some epistles, Paul will uh, introduce himself and uh, associate himself with someone else, but then throughout the rest of the letter, uh, he uses the singular. For example, 1 Corinthians, it's from Paul and Sosthenes, uh, but the rest of the letter is basically from Paul as he uses the first person singular uh, throughout the rest of the the letter. But in this letter to the Thessalonians, the plural we is used throughout. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy all had a role in writing this letter with, with Paul likely as the primary author. And it says that this letter is to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, they are a church. Even though uh, Paul was only there three weeks, they had, they had formed a church. Um, a church is just a group of believers, one in spirit, one in mission, devoted to Christ, to loving God and being loved by God, to caring for and encouraging one another as they seek to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to each other, to their community, and even beyond. Uh, we, we read it's a church of the Thessalonians. This particular church is made up of people from, from that city. And it's a church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul frequently, more than 60 times in the New Testament, speaks of Christians being in Christ. Uh, John Calvin says this, There is no church but what is founded upon God and is gathered under the auspices of Christ and is united in his name. So Paul had received this good report of, of Christ's church in Thessalonica, and Paul is sure that this is a true church of God, and he'll expound on some of the reasons why he can say that in the next few verses. Uh, but their faithfulness and their unmoving dedication to the gospel of Christ was evident. And thus Paul could address the letter to the church of God, church in, of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to greet them, saying, grace to you and peace. Uh, grace and peace uh, is a new, new uh, greeting, a new form of introduction introduced by Paul. It was, really wasn't found before Paul's writings, but he carried it through all his epistles. And this is not a mere hello, it carries with it great meaning. Uh, grace, of course, means that which causes joy. It's unmerited favor. Paul wanted to remind this church in Thessalonica once more of God's abundant and unmerited favor. Uh, God's grace to us is his kindness to us, providing for our spiritual needs. It necessarily reminds us of God's gift of his only son on Calvary uh, and should evoke thankfulness in Christians. And he also wishes them peace. To Hebrews, peace did not just mean the absence of war and strife. Uh, the Hebrew shalom meant prosperity and wholeness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, read as follows. For he, meaning Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Christians can have true peace, the peace of knowing that we are no longer enemies of God, and that there is no more hostility or condemnation from God, but we have been bought and redeemed at a great price. 
Christ bore the wrath of God on the cross for us. And it's in Christ that God's ultimate display of his grace and peace is, is to us. The final part of his greeting in, in verse 2 says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Uh, first, Paul starts with thanksgiving. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy recognized that this work of God uh, was not their own work, uh, but they thank God for it. Um, they always thank God, not that every prayer they pray is for the Thessalonian church, but their thankfulness was constant. It was not just sporadic. These two words, always and constantly, are some of the most convicting and challenging for me personally in this passage. Probably not unlike most of you, uh, I go through seasons of, of highs and lows in my prayer life, um, but then sometimes I allow the cares and distractions of the world to draw me away from it, and God has to discipline me and call me back to himself. Uh, one thing that helps, it says they write that we give thanks to God in our prayers. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are often praying together. And for the last 11 or 12 years, we have had the example of Pastor Dean and Miss Lynn, uh, who would not hesitate to pray with us about any and everything. Uh, and especially in their absence now, uh, let us all the more devote ourselves to, to prayer, to constant prayer, not, even, not just individually, but especially uh, together. Uh, but God uses our prayers to grow our love for one another. And we should seek out times to be in prayer together and to pray for one another. And so I'm thankful for our, our Wednesday night meetings that have started uh, at, at the Honorponts. It's been a great opportunity to pray together. And continuing, the authors concede that this work in the Thessalonians' heart is beyond their own abilities. Indeed, it is the work of God. John Calvin says this, There is nothing that should tend more to excite our love to individuals than when the Lord manifests himself in them by the gifts of his spirit. When we recognize that we are not in control, but God is, we can begin to thank him for, for all the things that he has done, not only in our lives, but in those uh, closest to us as well. And so as we move on from the enthusiastic greeting, we'll see in the next few verses some of the reasons they have to thank God for these Thessalonians. Um, he describes the evidences of God's grace in verses 3 through 6. He begins with some uh, characteristics, or they begin with some characteristics. There are three things that they notice in the Thessalonian church and that they are remembering before our, their God and Father in prayer. First, their work of faith in verse 3. This faith is in someone. Specifically, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There was an undeniable work of the Holy Spirit creating a huge change in the Thessalonian Christians' lives. Uh, we are all familiar with Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, which say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Our faith is a gift of God. The faith of the people in Thessalonica is a work of God. It's God's work in their lives. But not only that, true faith produces work as fruit. We continue reading in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our salvation is 100% God's work, but the result is that we are equipped and enabled to do good works out of our faith in Christ through the Holy Spirit, not to earn salvation, but just to live lives pleasing to the Lord. Second, they notice the labor of love of these Thessalonians, um, which is two words we don't frequently pair together, but Loving people is work. 
Um, the word used for labor means costly toil to the point of weariness. Um, love in our world today, you know, is thought of as this mushy emotional feeling, but that's not the type of love, the agape love, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy are talking about here. Uh, Dr. Leon Morris says the, the Hollywood brand of love will never do if we wish to understand the New Testament. In our families, even in the best of times, loving each other well is, is hard work. When trials come, love takes even more work. How do you love your rebellious children, your distant or abusive parents, your selfish siblings, uh, right? Loving each other is something we have to work at. In a similar way, it takes work to love those we share Christ with, not only our fellow believers, but even our neighbors as well. I remember those three brothers I told you about in my introduction. I certainly don't say this to hold myself up as a shining example of what to do or how to, how to love, but to illustrate that loving is, is definitely hard work, and it's been hard. It's been a labor of love. Uh, when they got bad grades or skipped school or got in trouble for fighting, those kind of things, I struggled with how to share the love of Christ to them. And uh, when they disobeyed their grandmother and I got sucked into some of the strife in their household, uh, it was tough to know how to love them. Uh, when others in their household made seemingly bad decisions, um, loving this family required some, some difficult conversations. But um, you already know this because when they came among us, you all loved them. And uh, you, many of you sacrificed, you went out of your way uh, to show the love of Christ in tangible ways for these young men and that family. You know, I wish I could say that uh, love made, Christ's love made everything easy, but love takes work. Uh, work in prayer, work in walking through difficult times, work in wisdom and considering how to give both grace and accountability. And love is sacrifice. We have the ultimate example of Christ's love for us demonstrated in the work he did on the cross, giving his life for our sakes. And the third characteristic that they notice is the steadfastness of hope in verse 3. When the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't mean that what is hoped for is unsure. No, in the Bible, instead, the Bible instructs us to have faith that the things we hope for are sure. Hebrews 11.1, 1, of course, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When it comes to God's promises, his word is as good as it being done. As surely as he spoke all creation into existence, in the first chapters of Genesis. So sure are his promises to us in Christ. There's no doubt that he will do as he said he will do. So why is Christian hope so different than worldly hope? Well, it follows right after in verse 3. Hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is, and by his perfect life, is bearing the wrath of God for our sins on the cross and is overcoming death and hell to be raised on the third day. So we have been assured that we will be like him in his resurrection. Uh, because our Lord Jesus Christ is God and is all-powerful and true, we have confidence that what he has promised is sure. Secondly, he's our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ came and gave himself for us. He is our treasure. He is ours. We have a claim on his name and on his grace. We've been adopted, and the family name is ours. And this is where we can place our hope. And we see here for the first time in Paul's writings, we have the famous uh, triad, faith, love, and hope. But Paul's stress is not on these virtues alone, but in what they produce as we continue on. Uh, verse 4 says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We see in this verse that the decision, the critical action necessary for the salvation of these Thessalonians, was not in Paul and Silas and Thess uh, or Timothy's hands, it's not in the hands of the Thessalonians, but it was God 
who chose them. Um, and it's because the Thessalonians, Thessalonians were loved by God. God chose them. And so God sent Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to them. You know, we read in Acts, or we can read in Acts, all the things that God had done previously to bring Paul and Silas to Thessalonica. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit from going into Asia. Um, they faced opposition in Philippi that forced them to leave and come to Thessalonica. God's sovereign hand was making all things work together for those he had chosen in Thessalonica. And these two things, God's love and our election, are connected for us just as they were for the Thessalonians. Uh, we are chosen because God loves us. Not because of our righteous deeds, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not because we were stronger, wiser, or better than others. Um, in the Old Testament, we have a, a picture of God choosing a people for himself, the, the nation of Israel. God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 9, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. If you are a believer, know that God chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he did all that was necessary to give you new life in Christ. So the Thessalonians were loved and chosen by God. And in verse 5, we see God's continued work to bring their faith to, to fruition. Verse 5 says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The word is necessary. Uh, Romans 10 and 14 says, how will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to, to bring a saving knowledge of Christ to lost people. But mere words are insufficient. Verse 5 says that the good news came also in power and in the Holy Spirit. The words of a man are unable to transform hearts of stone. Because God chose the Thessalonians, he sent his word with power and sent the Holy Spirit to allow the words that were preached by Paul and Silvanus to have their full effect. And this is the assurance that we have. In verse 5, it came with full conviction. Our salvation depends on the one who has the power to make it happen, namely God. This is the God we serve. He chose us despite our weaknesses, despite our failures and our sins, and placed his love on us in Christ. And he transformed our hearts that we might be made alive to Christ, to become followers of Christ, to live for Christ, and to have abundant and eternal life with him. So when a Christian is indwelled <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit and becomes a new creation in Christ, what effect does this have on him? Verse 6 answers this. It says the Thessalonian believers became imitators of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Um, what kind of men were Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy? Well, they were men of integrity. They, there was no difference between the faith they preached and the faith they lived. Uh, they were joyful. Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica from Philippi, uh, where they were beaten with rods and jailed for preaching the gospel. And remember that Paul and Silas spent the night in jail praying and singing hymns joyfully. Uh, they were men who persevered through trials. When Paul and Silas got to Thessalonica, they were fiercely opposed and forced out of the city 
after only three weeks having to leave their fledgling Thessalonian church. But they could tell others to follow their example because they knew where they were going. Uh, Paul records in 1 first Thess- first, Corinthians 11, chapter 1, says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the Thessalonian believers became imitators not only of Paul and Silas and Timothy, but of the Lord. Uh, this is the idea of discipleship. Uh, Jesus called fishermen, tax collectors, tradesmen, others, and left, they left their careers and families to follow Jesus. Similarly, when Christ calls us, we forsake living for ourselves and we live lives unto God, offering our lives as living sacrifices. And God calls us to be like he is, in love. Um, For God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our neighbors, for our enemies, we're called to love sacrificially as Christ did for us. Uh, We're called to be holy. God doesn't justify sinners and declare us righteous and then leave us to live the rest of our lives however we want. He calls us into a relationship with him. He calls us to grow in holiness, to be sanctified, to be set apart for God. And our God works in our lives through the ministry of the word as we study the Bible, through the administration of the sacraments, through worship and life with the people of God, through God's work in in our joys and our struggles and our circumstances and our trials and tests of life. He disciplines us as his children to make us more like himself. And verse 6 tells us uh, that the Thessalonian church received the word in much affliction. As we read in Acts 17, a huge mob quickly formed against uh, these preachers. But not only them, they rejected the truth of Christ and his resurrection that was being preached. So these new believers in Thessalonica had to withstand intense persecution from the society uh, who saw Christianity as a threat to the established idols, the established stability, economic stability of many members of their society. Uh, Yet the church in Thessalonica grew. And God's plan for the advance of his kingdom and the building of his church was not thwarted by the efforts of Satan or the cares of this world. Secondly, the Thessalonian believers received the word in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Their hearts were unable to receive the preaching of the word with joy, even in the midst of intense persecution, because the Holy Spirit was at work. So having seen these many evidences of God's grace in this young Thessalonian church, we move on to the example of genuine faith in verses 7 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were examples for the new Christians in Thessalonica, Uh, But then the Thessalonians became the examples to others, and this is exactly how the work of God should happen, and it's how the faith has been sustained since the first century. Uh, In verse 7, the Thessalonians didn't keep their newfound faith to themselves. It says Macedonia and Achaia, which were the Greek provinces surrounding Thessalonica, um, the Thessalonians were going out to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with their whole region. Uh, Notice that the doctrine of election, which we discussed in verse 4, does not mean that evangelism isn't important. The Bible is clear that God has chosen specific people for salvation and not others. But we are still called and commanded to preach Christ in the world. In fact, the doctrine of election takes the pressure off of us. Uh, We just have to be faithful to share the good news of Christ and him crucified, and God takes care of the rest. It's a comfort to know that the salvation of the people I talk to about Jesus is not dependent on me. 
and that I don't have to have eloquent words or perfectly reasoned arguments, uh, though we use the reasoning minds God has given us, uh, but that we can have confidence that God's word has power and has power to transform people. Um, and that power is not mine, but God's. And verse 8 <clears throat> says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere that we need not say anything. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't something that you can keep to yourself. Uh, these new believers were so captivated by the good news of the gospel of Christ that they willingly and joyfully went out despite the opposition, despite the risk of being beaten, jailed, or killed for their faith and shared the gospel. Uh, so we see again that while the church, God's people, are used as an instrument to advance the kingdom of God, it's accomplished uh, through, the, through the God who dwells in us. Charles Spurgeon uh, says, our converts are our best advertisements and arguments. Uh, we should be faithful and obedient to plant seeds of truth, to preach the good news of Christ, and it is God who will make the seeds grow, who will allow us to take part in reaping a harvest of faith. And lastly, the example of genuine faith is found in the changes evident in their lives. Uh, we find at the end of chapter 1 a concise summary of what it means to be a Christian. Um, verse 9 says, you turned to God from idols. Uh, Warren Wearsby in his commentary notes a connection back to verse 3, that turning to, to idols, turn, sorry, turning from God to idols was their work of faith. God's work in their lives is turning from idols to God. Uh, many of these new believers had formerly worshipped in the temples and offered sacrifices to the multitude of Greek and pagan gods. And as we read in our responsive reading this morning, Psalm 115, Verse 4 said there, idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. And it continues on describing all their body parts that are not functional, that these gods are, are completely powerless. But um, when you come to know the one true God, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, you turn away from these false idols who have no power. Uh, this word turn is the same word in the Bible used for repentance. Uh, becoming a Christian involves turning from idolatry, from placing your faith in things other than God, to place your faith in our powerful God. And it says they turn to, the, to serve the living and true God in verse 9. Uh, this is their labor of love, serving God. In contrast to these dead idols, the Thessalonians had placed their faith in the living and true God. Our God is not, not only alive, but he's active, and he's true, he's genuine, he's real. The last thing to notice in verse 9, uh, these believers were serving God. Uh, Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve, as Mark 10, 45 tells us. As these believers followed the example of our Lord, they served God. Serving God begins with a real relationship with the living and true God and, and trusting him and his word and just being faithful and obedient to follow his commands uh, with a focus on his glory alone. This is our calling as Christians to serve God. And it concludes with verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Here's how that steadfastness of hope from verse 4 works itself out in the lives of these Thessalonian believers. They were waiting for Christ's second coming. Waiting doesn't mean to just stop and do nothing. It means they had patience. <clears throat> and we wait like the Thessalonians did because we know that in this life, 
Uh, we will suffer. We will endure trials. We will go to spiritual war against the flesh and the sinful nature and the temptations and powers of this world. But we know it won't be this way forever. We have hope. We have hope that we will be raised just as Christ was, raised to heaven where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness, disease, or death, and where we will be free from the presence of sin. As Christians, we're just called to be ready and to wait with patient expectation. And we have this assurance. Jesus Christ delivers us from the wrath to come. There is a wrath to come, brothers and sisters, when God will judge the living and the dead because of sin and disobedience and all those who are not in the Lamb's book of life who are not chosen, as, we, as it said in verse 4, uh, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, we do not know the day of the hour when Christ will come again, but uh, we know that he's coming soon to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him and to bring judgment on those who do not have the righteousness, righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. Uh, God's purpose in all of this is his own glory. Uh, I'm reminded of our study of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question one on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. Uh, which says, what is the chief end of man? And it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Uh, God will be glorified uh, by having mercy on his elect. And in the same way, God will be glorified by his judgment on reprobate unbelievers. So praise God that he has chosen us and that we are delivered from his wrath through his abundant mercy in the shed blood of Christ. So here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we've seen something amazing happen. Uh, in verse 4, God loved these Thessalonians and chose them even before they were formed or born, uh, before the creation of the world, in fact. God chose them. And he sent the gospel to them. God divinely appointed Paul and Silvanus to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. And these believers received the word. Um, and that reception was a transformational experience because the Holy Spirit uh, was at work in their hearts. And in verse 8, the word of the Lord sounded forth from them to the surrounding region. And then, verse 10, uh, the Thessalonian Christians were serving God as they waited for Christ to come again. Dr. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, says, What every church should be is what every Christian should be. Elect, born again. Exemplary, imitating the right people. Enthusiastic, sharing the gospel with others. And expectant, daily looking for Jesus Christ to return. I praise God along with Paul, Silas, and Timothy for the extent to which these characteristics define my fellow believers here at Hope Church. And let us continue on making our calling and election sure by turning from our idols to, to God, serving God with our lives, and waiting patiently for Christ to come again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us that, Lord, it contains life, that, Lord, you um, have chosen, Lord, to reveal uh, your word to us, to our hearts, Lord, through your spirit, that, uh, Lord, we pray that it would have the power that, that you've designed for it, that, Father, uh, you would use the preaching of the word, and, and, Lord, that your word would transform us, that it would impact our lives, that, Lord, we would go forth this week, uh, Lord, as, as your people, that, Lord, your gospel would sound forth from us as it did from the Thessalonians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>